0: Thank you.
1: rules of the frame i am your host connor reed and here's your other host john skinner i was gonna say something about you being a landlubber but you know i'm are you kidding me i'm i'm much more seaworthy than you are exactly i'm right by the ocean
2: lake michigan counts
1: that's not the ocean you don't have big waves
2: the sailing is actually more difficult in the great lakes oh interesting. anyway
1: anyways yes for those of you who are listening in for the first time, we are not a sailing podcast. We are a film podcast. We pick a subject or theme and explore films related to those topics. Our overall goal is to encourage the general public to view film as more than just a piece of entertainment, but also a piece of art and something to discuss and explore. We are nearing the end of our top five of the 2010 series, where we've kind of gotten into our personal picks now of our favorite slash what we think the best movie of the 2010s is and i perhaps controversially picked the lighthouse uh i know it's a more recent film but man this movie just like blew me away i'm very excited to talk about it and we're also not alone today we have returning guest elise yeomans with us today hello well now i think elise you hold the record now for quickest turnaround as a guest because before it was my dad who was on uh the 12 angry men episode which came out in the summer and then he did ishtar in the winter but i mean we just had you on not too long ago like probably like four or five episodes ago with the black cauldron
0: yeah it felt like just a month ago but maybe not i, know. I have no sense of time anymore
1: yeah it's probably been like four <laughs> but
2: can we call this one two angry men basically what Too angry- it is.
1: yeah that, that is this movie
2: it's good that we have a guest on this one because if there's anything we learn from this yeah. movie is that if it was just two two of us on a podcast we would we would lose our freaking minds
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so who would be wake and who would be winslow then
2: we're not going into this <laughs> <laughs> I like, i'm clearly the one with the terrible mustache so i'm
1: sorry <laughs> And also, just a disclaimer for this episode, we're going to try to keep it as tame as possible. But in talking about this movie, there's just a lot of stuff that comes up with it. So this is just a content warning for everyone. If you have not seen the film, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But if you have, then so again, we're going to try to keep it as easy as possible. But we're going
2: to keep it. We're going to try and keep it easy. But there will be a detailed discussion of maritime
1: law in this episode. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I'm just hoping my parents keep their track record of not listening to the episodes <laughs> that I'm on. So.
1: I know, I don't think my parents will ever watch this movie, so I don't think they'll listen to it, so I think we're good. So as long as them or my grandparents don't listen in, then I think we're good. But I'll get us started off with a summary of the film, and then we'll, we'll get into it. A boat emerges from the fog, approaching a remote island with a lighthouse on it. The foghorn blares as two men depart from the boat, taking the place of two previous lighthouse keepers. The younger man takes a look around the quarters and tries to open a locked dresser that contains the keeper's log. He drops his sack in the shared room and the older man exits, farting in his face. The younger man, Winslow, sits on his bed and discovers in the stuffing a carved figure of a mermaid, which he stuffs in his pocket. Winslow dreams of logs floating in from the sea and a body is amongst them. He falls in the water and a mermaid approaches him. Back in reality, the two men get off to a rocky start, and Winslow starts slacking off on his duty. Winslow starts to get jealous that Wake won't let him tend the light, and he is continuously barraged by seagulls. Wake warns him to leave them alone, saying that they contain the souls of dead sailors, but one day he can't take it anymore and kills one. This causes the winds to shift, and Wake warns of an oncoming storm. It is their last night on the island, and Wake finally manages to get Winslow to drink with him. The two get incredibly plastered, and Wake tells him that the former assistant went mad and died. The next morning, the two slowly wake up and face the giant storm outside. They wait for the boat on the cliffs, but it never comes. Winslow instead gets to his chores, but sees a naked woman washed up on the shore. He goes over to investigate, but is stunned to see that she is actually a mermaid. He runs back to the house screaming, and Wake tells him that the rations were affected by the rain, and they have to go dig up some more. They spend the night digging, but it is revealed that the only thing that is in the crate is alcohol. They spend the rest of the days drinking and lazily doing chores. One night, Winslow says he doesn't like Wake's cooking, so Wake lays a curse on him. Winslow continuously drinks and starts having nightmares of mermaids, dead bodies, and the ocean. One day, he finally destroys the mermaid figure, freeing him of Wake's possession. But Wake still manipulates him and gets Winslow to confess that he actually isn't Winslow, but that is the name of the man that he killed when he was a lumberjack. Winslow starts to crack and attempts to kill Wake, but is stopped. He then decides to run out and take the dinghy back to shore, but Wake smashes it up with an axe and chases him back to the house. They calm down and start drinking, and the storm worsens, flooding the house. Upon waking, Winslow finds Wake's logbook and sees that he is written to sever him with no pay. They fight, and Winslow wins, burying Wake in the yard. He takes his keys and heads up to the light, but goes back for some cigarettes. Wake charges in and hits him with the axe. Winslow pulls it out and kills Wake. He goes up to the light and basks in its glory until it overwhelms him and he falls down the stairs. He lays in a broken, gutted mess splayed on the rocks with the seagulls feasting on him. Happy ending.
2: My two words are simple craft. uh, Because, so I'll say what I liked about this movie first. I, I was blown away by... The craft of it the way that the the detail of of you know the sets the set that they built um the lighthouse setting is just so wonderful it's such i love movies that have like you know one room or one location or one setting and they find every possible visual you know to to have so many different um shots of the the stair stairs up to the top of the lighthouse and and find so many different you know ways to use that space is really impressive the black and white i love it i love the old camera and the uh the correct way to watch this movie is side by side with uh <laughs> justice league god thing, I knew you were gonna say <laughs> that. yeah you have your widescreen but you have them both playing at the same time and it's full widescreen yeah yeah literally side by side except it's no. a
1: different aspect ratio than this though
2: i know but you stack them next to each other and it's roughly white screen. Okay. Uh no, but uh so I li- I loved everything about the way that it was made, you know, like the the filmmaking of it and the cinematography and the choice the casting and the and the performances I thought were great. Just well good at making films and then to use so much with that s- simplicity I thought was really uh effective. On the other side, when you get a a two-person movie like this, my take on the story is going to come down to what happens you know like even mm-hmm. if the performances are really good like the the arcs that the characters have is is going to loom more lo- more largely in my mind of of whether i enjoyed it or not and the ending of the story was i want i wouldn't say quite anticlimactic for me but it was just sort of like all right i mean there's there's movies like these that either i love them and i'm just enamored with it or by the end i'm like yeah okay you lost your mind <laughs> fine like like, I, And I guess I honestly think if I had watched this before lockdown, before the pandemic, I would have been like, oh, this is so wonderful. But <laughs> there's a little bit of me after like two hours of them. It's like, all right, just get on with it. Like, <laughs> like I don't have as much sympathy for you <laughs> as I would have before. Um, so I think the simplicity didn't work against the movie. It's a really good movie. Um, by the end, I was like, okay, kind of go over the same stuff over and over again and I guess when you get to the point where they've completely lost their minds and, and they're fighting each other to the death type of thing, it kind of lost me, actually. It's more hmm. intrigued with the, the descent into madness than wallowing in the madness, you know? And uh, and so I think the simple A to B story kind of dragged on a little bit. But it's not a negative review. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I was amazed how much they were able to do with with uh, just two colors and one location and two actors, you know? hmm and uh making it look like the era was was amazing. I just uh I was I was very impressed with the uh it made me think there should be more lighthouse movies basically. Yes.
1: Oh, I completely agree with you. Yeah, my two words for the film are isolated study and I feel like that just kind of r- really reflects on even though Robert Eggers has only made two films, but I feel like that's kind of the core of what he loves. I mean, if you watch his movies, you know that he loves like folk tales and fairy tales and that sort of thing. And kind of bringing that into reality. And the witch is very much that as well, where it's a family that's isolated, not just geographically, but also isolated like socially and kind of like religiously, spiritually, all that sort of stuff as well. And studying like what happens whenever like all of this kind of like fear mongering really gets put into play. And I feel like that's a bit of what this is as well. But to the umpteenth power because like i think the witch is good i wa- re it again this last time and i was like okay yeah that was solid like but I, it didn't blow me away in the way that the lighthouse did like i felt like there was just so much more like craft in it and i mean robert eggers has even said that he likes the screenplay for the witch more than the actual film um and that it just didn't really turn out how he wanted it to turn out and i feel like the lighthouse is a lot closer to it Um, like I didn't finish the screenplay but I started reading and I was like wow this is just like incredible the way that he writes this but he loves to do research and to study up on things and it's just like I mean one of the most like period accurate things that I've ever seen especially that we're in this kind of area era now that is like really backing off against like period accuracy where there's kind of like a lot more like free form kind of do whatever you want a lot of like mixing in of costumes from different eras and that sort of thing and I mean, like, one of the things that I think of is the Taron Egerton Robin Hood that came out, where I'm just like, what is going on here? Like, this is garbage. Um, Not saying that all of those decisions or those movies are garbage, but uh, I really appreciate just, like, how much, like, craft, like, went into this and just, like, how accurate the dialogue is and how accurate the clothing and the structures and just, like, everything that they do is just, like so on point and it just astounds me and it's also a study too because i feel like this is just kind of like one of the like classic questions of like what happens to people when they're isolated and one of the i don't know kind of first like intriguing like thrillers that happen like there's a period in uh homer's odyssey where it's just odysseus like on the raft by himself you know and there's a lot of like isolation for him throughout his entire journey and it's just something that we're always like fascinated with and I think this has just really boiled it down into such a pure vision of that and that's one of the reasons why I love it is just because I mean Eggers himself even says he's like there's almost like isn't a story to it it's more just like you're in the lives of these characters and I like really appreciate that and I think it just adds to the way that the film is because I don't think it really needs like a full like classic structure and like that's hard to do whenever there's just Two people on something like, if if you're gonna do that, you have to do something like spoilers for Castaway, where it's not just him on the island the entire time, but it's like him in society beforehand, and then he's on the island, and then dealing with what happens afterwards. And I really respect that they just keep it to this one location. I really like that.
0: Uh, my two words were absurd and bodily because, oh man, um, this movie, the ambiguity <laughs> of this movie makes for the most absurd situations and conversations and it makes you doubt yourself where you're like wait is this funny or is this awful like half the time um it seems absurd that old tom is like Discounting his old wiki for going crazy because of the light, but at the same time he's being super possessive of it and kind of showing the same traits Mm. So you're like, wait, is this just a power trip for him or is there something weirder going on? Um, He has like all these weird rules and superstitions and like bizarre things like set him off and he like when he assumes based on uh, young Tom winning a stake that that means that he hates his cooking and goes on like the most long-winded sea curse and then it ends with all right have your way then like that's completely absurd he calls down the the entire power of the ocean on somebody because he's like maybe you don't like my cooking it's bizarre yeah and then bodily just because uh so much of the tension just comes from like bodily functions like there's a total lack of privacy. Uh, you're in each other's space. It's tense. They know way too much about each other. <laughs> and, uh, but like not only like in a, in the absurd like funny way, but also a, a lot of the horror comes from body horror. Like where you're seeing old Tom as kind of like an old sea creature god, or like wondering does he actually have tentacles sometimes. <laughs> or seeing, like, the mermaid anatomy or the rotting head that they pull up out of the basket. Like, every kind of horror beat to me is a bodily horror, which was pretty effective, I think.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, So I'll get into our now-in-film history, and then we can get into the discussion. So, like I said, this movie did not come out that long ago. It came out in 2019. It is Robert Eggers' second film, and it started off back whenever they were working on the witch and after he finished the the movie, he didn't expect the kind of like praise and like kind of cult following that it got and a lot of people got interested in him after that and there was a couple studios that reached out to him like, hey, what are some of the other projects that you're kind of working on? And it started off where his brother Max was working on this project and he's like, I just want to write the story about like a ghost in a lighthouse like I think it was like about a man and his dog going to, like, fix an old lighthouse and a ghost being there. And he's like, that sounds really interesting, and I kind of want to work on that too. And so they come up with, like, a bit of the story based off of Edgar Allan Poe's unfinished, like, final story called The Lighthouse. And it just doesn't really work. And Robert Eggers comes up to him and is like, hey, do you mind if I, like, take a crack at it? And works it into more of, like, a screenplay fashion and switches it from like a ghost story to being about like two men being in a lighthouse and they're kind of being supernatural elements to it. So they work on that for a bit. And he says that Max kind of writes the first two acts, but was struggling with the third one. So he finishes the third one. And it's kind of just them going through a bunch of research, refining what the story is going to be. And after The Witch came out, both Willem Dafoe and Robert Eggers saw it and were really impressed with it. And I think both of them actually reached out to... Sorry, I said Robert Eggers. I meant Robert Pattinson saw it. And both of them reached out to Robert Eggers. And I think Willem was like, hey, I want to do what you do next. And he's like, well, cool. We have this crazy lighthouse movie that we're going to make. Like, would you be interested in it? And he reads the script. And he's like, yep, I'd like to do that. And Robert Eggers actually reaches out to Pattinson beforehand and says like, hey, here's this role that I'm kind of, for like a different movie that didn't get made that I'm considering, you know, you for. And it was like this kind of classy victorian figure and robert pattinson is just like that's not weird enough i don't want to do that and he's like okay and kind of leaves him be and then sends him the lighthouse screenplay and it's just like is this is this weird enough for you he's like yep that sounds good and so they both both tag onto it and yeah go on to make this amazing masterpiece of a film
0: that sounds about right for where robert pattinson is right now yes I don't know if you've read it yeah, of I... his, like, recent interviews about how he's trying to make a to-go noodle company. And then he proceeded to, like, accident... What? Oh, no. Wait, okay, I highly recommend reading this because it was a Zoom interview during quarantine where he's like, I'm going to show you... It, this was not what the interview was about, but he was like, I'm going to show you my to-go, like, handheld noodle concept. <laughs> What? and then he <laughs> I can't even like do it justice but it was like he accidentally like set his um his microwave oven on fire because he thought it was oh I heard yes. it
2: I heard about this I heard and about it's this. so yeah. absurd yeah, yeah, that you're
0: yeah. like is this performance art or is this truly who you are it it's fascinating and he like fully that is it's crazy. like a melted noodle that you hold with your hands with lots of cheese and sugar and what just, yeah I read
2: the article <laughs>
1: because that <God, laughs> is that sounds awful it's
2: so good sounds it sounds amazing
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'd get it but i i don't think i'd like it that sounds so strange but i
0: feel like if you read that interview you understand why he was drawn to this project like he's yeah. in the right headspace for this character
1: well, one of the things i really appreciate about him is that he's just kind of come so far from like the harry potter and twilight days where kind of every i i remember like whenever this is coming out that or whenever uh the twilight movies were coming out that they're like okay robert pattinson's a big star now but he's never going to get hired for anything afterwards and 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 i think he was like offered some like bigger roles and all that but he's like no i just you know i have the star power with me i want to use this power to kind of promote these movies that otherwise wouldn't have been seen or wouldn't maybe wouldn't have gotten made and all of that and the film that actually like turned me towards him was the safty brothers good time which just blew my mind his performance in that is so crazy and afterwards i was just like okay i'm really interested in his stuff and started to watch more and more and um i know for some people whenever i've like told them about the lighthouse they're like robert pattinson is in that like that's weird and i'm like no, no no you don't realize that this like you know for the last 10 years this completely different career that he's had of just doing a bunch of weird stuff and then and then willem dafoe will always do like really interesting fascinating indie films like interspersed with some of the bigger movies that he does as well and yeah i think it's just a great progression for the both of them
0: yeah this was the first movie where i realized oh he's interesting like this is the draw for robert pattinson because mm-hmm. i was a Hard back in the day but that <sighs> edward was essentially like a little cardboard figure that they would prop up on set so, this is the first thing I ever saw where I was like, oh, I get it. Okay. <laughs> he
1: can act. I haven't read the Twilight books or seen the movies or anything, but after uh, my girlfriend Claire was like telling me about some of them, and I'm just like, are those actually weirder than the lighthouses?
0: They're, so <laughs> <weird. laughs> They're so weird.
1: The only thing, I extended scene from
2: those movies I've seen is there's a baseball scene <sighs> yes. where they play baseball, and it's so weird. Like, it's. Why is this happening? I I just highly
0: recommend the whole series just for, like, the earnestness and the meme potential. And Mm -hmm. there's just, like, where else are you going to see vampires playing baseball? Right. It's worth it.
1: Well, anyway, where to begin on this film? Um, I don't know. There's so much to, like, go through and analyze. And, I mean, maybe just, like, I kind of want to just, like, start off talking about, like, the style and, like, content of it. Because... I just remember watching the trailer and I was just like this movie is made for me like oh man I love nautical stuff so much and I love lighthouses so much and I love Willem Dafoe so much and just and I love black and white movies so much and just like seeing this I was like there is no way I am not going to see this in theaters like I hadn't even seen The Witch or anything but I was just like I I do not care nothing is going to stop me from seeing this movie because it looks so crazy.
2: Sometimes a lighthouse is just a lighthouse, right? Yeah. So
0: not oh. in this case. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not just a lighthouse.
2: It's not in this case, but for Creed, your love of lighthouses oh, is. Oh yeah. Is. I think it. I think that's what this movie is kind of is like. It pulls you in with this weird setting, and then it's the not the type of struggle that you're expecting. It's not the type of isolation that you're expecting from. Uh, It's not, you know, they're not at sea, but they're basically are at sea, you know, type of type of, okay. We got to talk about the
1: foghorn though. We got to
2: talk about the foghorn.
1: The best like sound effect I've heard like ever. It we is went from Amazing. We went from blah to. Are
0: you saying it's a downgrade? No,
2: we're, no, it's better. I can't do it. Our injustice. last episode
1: was Inception, so yeah. Yeah, so, inception, so, blah.
2: So, so we're all about the blahs this this series, I guess. Yeah. Let's see what's you introducing
0: next. Introducing yourself as the sound from Inception was excellent.
2: <laughs> yeah, I should have introduced myself as a oh my frog this time. Right? Oh, yes.
1: I'm gonna put that in over you, <laughs> over you, <laughs> what you say.
2: So the foghorn is, uh, you know, we talk about cinematography and music mixing and everything. And this movie has everything. All of that is great, but the, I've never thought of like the single sound effect dominates this movie in a way, even more than inception on it. It does make me think of inception Mm -hmm. in terms of like, it's, it's a key. It's a hook. Um, but it's even more dominant over the movie. And, uh, I, at the beginning I didn't know what was going on. I didn't I didn't catch it cuz it sounds a little different than a normal foghorn and I didn't get what was going on and I was like 5 minutes in I was like what are they just doing the sound effect a bunch and then I had to go I actually paused the movie and I had to look it up and it's like oh it's a foghorn. Oh. oh, that's great. You know, I didn't cuz I hadn't seen the, the head, I hadn't seen the foghorn running in the movie yet. But it's just always going mm-hmm. off, you know. It's so it's like a sound effect. That you would have to create a mood, but it's in-universe, which is so amazing that it's actually happening. And so it's not just this dramatic... They found a way to do a sound... uh, It's similar to Gravity, actually, what we just talked about. They found a way to do sound mixing that sort of honors what's going on on the island. And it's not that much additional sound, but it's just so atmospheric. And it creates this sense of dread and foreboding... Uh, when, for a long, I mean, let's be honest, for a long time in the movie, nothing, without some of that sound effects, the dread isn't really, they're just, like you said, they're just living their lives for a while, but this sound effect kind of reminds you that they're going to be going to a dark place by the end, you know, and, um, it's great.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. It just starts out as like, there's like irritation and it's like, ah, this job kind of sucks, but we'll get through yeah but the tension is always mounting
1: because of that Mm -hmm. and i think they said like in talking about the sound design that it's supposed to be kind of like first off drive like the audience crazy along with robert pattinson's characters but also like uh just like an amplified version of wake's farts and that that's kind (laughs) of like the mirroring of it Can we talk about farts? I have
0: (laughs) farting equals lighthouse noise question mark in my notes. (laughs) Where it's like, I think that a lot of the movie actually um, identifies Wake with the lighthouse itself.
1: Oh, yeah. So it's sort of like,
0: I don't know, it's sort of like a symbol of him, too, in a weird way.
1: Yeah, yeah, completely. And other things as well. But
2: Can we talk about the fart? There's so much farting in this movie. There is. It's <laughs> I was amazing. not
1: expecting it.
2: I, I was talking with Creed before this and I wanted to share this with everyone. Um I think there's a metric by which this is the greatest film of all time. I think this movie has the most what did I call it? It's Oscar farts per square inch. <laughs> Which is, which is number of Oscar nominations times farts in the movie Divided by how wide the movie is in inches, <laughs> And I think I, I've decided that it, by that measure uh, Either this or Blazing Saddles is the greatest movie of all time <laughs> Normally
0: I'm but, so anti-fart Like... In a, any movie, in any context, I'm not, it's not funny to me. It doesn't add anything to me. I'm just like, are we five years old? I hate it. Not so with this movie. I was <laughs> impressed by their usage of farts in this movie, which is not something I thought well, I'd also, ever say.
1: Also in like a lot of other movies, it's just like, that's so fake, yeah. you know, like, it's just kind of like, okay, let's just go grab the stock fart like sound, you know, and just noise. add that in. Yeah, and, like, in in a lot of interviews with Willem Dafoe, they're like, so are you actually farting in this? And he's like, no, if I could do that, I would not be in this business. What business would he (laughs) be in? What? Okay, the interviews for this movie are also buck wild. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that's so crazy. I I love it. Everything just surrounding this movie is just so crazy. Like, that's, like, one of my favorite things about this movie, too. Is just kind of, like, the audacity that it has to be this kind of, like, austere period drama that's just, like, very heavily focused on this super, like, minuscule part of history. Like, just lighthouse keepers, you know? And everything around that and just dig so much into that. But then there's, like, you know, I mean, as Robert Eggers says, like, there's every bodily fluid in this movie. Like, it's just kind of crazy. Like, and he was saying he didn't want it to be, like, the witch because he's like, I just felt like the witch was, like, too serious, like, and just took itself too seriously, and in order to do this, it couldn't do that, like, this movie's funny, like, watching in theaters, I laughed at a lot of points, and that was, like, a huge relief, because any, like, I don't do horror movies that well, and anytime, especially, I go to see them in theaters, there's this period while I'm watching the trailers where I'm, like, I made a mistake, like, I should not have come in, and watch this because I need to be watching it at home so I can like look away at points or pause it, or like, I don't know, wrap myself in a blanket or something like that. And there's like that moment of hesitation for me all throughout the beginning of the first part until like uh, Wake farts in Winslow's face. And I was like, oh, everything's gonna be okay. Really? <laughs> <I'm>
0: like, <laughs> that was the warm blanket of that movie experience. <laughs> it was a
1: warm blanket.
0: Yeah his
1: farts
2: bring you comfort <laughs> they
0: do we made the mistake of going to a theater where you eat it was me and connor and my boyfriend and we we're like trying to quietly eat our nachos or something like we we're like <laughs> waiting for there to be some kind of noise so i'd be like okay there's the foghorn like eat a chip <laughs> it, <laughs> it sucked because it's so tense you don't want to break it up with eating
2: right but you didn't get, you didn't get lobster rolls no and we should <laughs> have yeah, you gotta go. like I get I the rest of my
1: life. <laughs> we'll just have to do like a big screening of it at some point and do that as well. And man, I cannot stress like how much like it's too late now, but if it ever gets re released, I cannot stress how much people need to see this movie in theaters because yeah, Elise and I went and saw it, and it, like throughout the week afterwards, like I literally just could not stop Me
0: thinking too. about it. I was it. obsessed.
1: Yes, and and my girlfriend hates horror movies. Like, she just can't do it. And, like, I I have to have seen it, like, multiple times and know, like, every beat so I can kind of warn her on, like, the really tense or really gory stuff. And with this one, I was just, like, talking nonstop. And she's like, do you want to go see it in theaters again? I'm like, please, I have to go see this in theaters again. And so, like, we went and saw it. And, yeah, afterwards, she was just like, that was, like, one of the greatest things I've ever seen. <laughs>
2: like, I'm also someone that's not a huge fan of horror. I didn't think this was that much of a horror movie it's more of a th- no thriller descent into madness because I mean I there's a couple jump scares I guess but like it's more that what you're seeing on screen is so strange that's weird it's unsettling yeah. versus very you know uh, yeah and uh this brings me up to another question maybe maybe we can do it later but how much of do you buy into because the witch the big thing is you know the i don't know if it's really you can call it a twist maybe it is a twist but mm. the the subversion of the genre is that you're expecting it to be like these pilgrims are in the forest and they think there's a witch how how stupid you know like that's the modern sensibility right mm-hmm. these, it, uh, but they're right right yeah. they're right about the evil um this one's i think a little bit more ambiguity about what's real but like do you buy the supernatural or is it completely uh You know, delusion or does it not matter? Is it sort of
1: just. I almost want to say all of the above for that. Like, not to be ambiguous myself. But, like, there are points of where I'm like, okay, I think there is, like, the. I I think a lot of his delusions of, like, the mermaid and Wake turning into, like, Proteus and, like, that sort of thing, like, I don't think that's real. But I think, like, the light, like, that itself, like, maybe. Actually, kind of what it reminds me of, like, thinking about right now is, like, Twin Peaks. Like, I remember watching Twin Peaks thinking that all of it was just going to be the supernatural stuff. But it's really just kind of, like, the elements that happen in the lodge, like, the curtain room. And, like, not it doesn't really spill out from as as much of that. I mean, it does later on, not to spoil too much. But it's kind of just, like, whatever that's around kind of gets affected. So I almost think it's, like, just the being of the light that is doing that because, you know, it, it happens to Wake too, where you see, you see Wake like naked in there like multiple times and just like basking in it and all of that. And and so I think there's maybe something to that and like what actually kills him in the end or what kills Winslow in the end too of just like it just being like this overwhelming like presence. And maybe it is just like the simplicity of it's like warmth on a cold rock, and like that's what's so appealing about it but maybe not
0: i was okay so on this viewing i was kind of noticing because when i first watched it and maybe even the second time i watched it i thought that anytime there was kind of a supernatural body horror situation it was all a dream um and then i was really realizing on this viewing that there's a point where uh winslow like goes out to do some work and sees the mermaid and comes back and it's fully during the day he was fully awake i don't think he was drunk in that scene he might have been but um that was before he started drinking okay yeah so it was like really odd because it it seemed to take away some of the ambiguity but i think kind of the important thing is like we're in his perspective so to him he really thinks it's happening so as the audience we're just kind of along for his experience whether or not it's true but I did wonder about yeah.
1: that too. Or maybe it's the sort of thing where there is that stuff around there and Wake knows that, but like he's denying kind of. I mean, I guess Winslow never really addresses him on it, but he's never like, oh, do you see that mermaid out on the rock? And or anything like that. And like that, that's maybe part of his like power trip to kind of push Winslow towards insanity.
0: Yeah, because you're already doubting um, Winslow's perspective because of all of that. And then, so when um, Old Tom is telling him, I, I think of him as Old Tom and Young Tom, but that might be confusing, mm-hmm. but um, when he's telling him, oh, we don't know how long we've been here, uh, you actually didn't clean, even though you said you did, and he's, like, saying all these things, so at that point, we're doubtful enough of Winslow that we don't know if that's true or not, or at least I didn't know. What did you guys think? Was he just trying to, like, gaslight him, or... What was D- dang right it we dropped
2: the word <laughs> no i i had a joke never mind it's a gaslight <laughs>
0: yeah this movie is gaslighting. Uh, yeah
2: it's like yeah that is that was it's weird because like at the beginning of the movie wh- you know it's funny creed you were sort of questioning the uh the accuracy of him's you know like like saying he wasn't – you you were not questioning. You were saying, oh, yeah, he's definitely not cleaning enough. He's lazy, you know. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. For me, I was like, no, he's just being too tough. Like he's definitely cl- doing doing a lot of work, doing enough work. I don't see him as being lazy at all. I, I believed Winslow or I believed Young Tom early on. But by the end, when there's the axing of the boat, I started to switch to be- to not believing him. So, I yeah, it's interesting like – how much of this is dominance and how much of this... I tended to think everything he's making everything up and he's crazy. So I sort of made the protagonist the villain mm. uh, from his perspective. But you can definitely see his boss, that relationship being abusive. But I actually thought he was fine. So it just really depends on your perspective from his perspective of like whether you buy it. What you're seeing or not
0: well just on the like the different viewings i would i would take that i would take a different stance kind of each time too or on the first one i'm like i don't know what's happening and then the second one i was like oh i'm on uh i'm on young tom's side and then this last one i was like well what about if he is a crazy employee (laughs) you know so like it's kind of cool that there's enough ambiguity that you can kind of easily switch perspectives each time you watch it and get something different from it.
2: This time I thought he was a hardworking lunatic, basically. (laughs) And next time I will think he's a sane, lazy person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) For my first time watching it, I didn't think that he was like slacking off and that sort of thing. But then like upon watching it, I don't think it's nearly as much towards the beginning, but uh, watching the film with the commentary on Robert Eggers of just saying, that his first actions like whenever he gets into the lighthouse keep are lighting a cigarette, throwing the match on the ground, and then like walking over and trying to break into the, the chest where the lighthouse keeper keeps his log and that sort of thing. I was like, oh, okay, well, I think there's a lot of those like subtler things. But I think also part of it is like, would he naturally be doing this work without Wake being there to kind of like say like, no, this is what you have to do. And here's how you do it, and is the reason why we think he's a good worker is because there's so much like hard manual labor that we see him doing, but maybe he's not doing it well, like maybe there's something where we just don't know like how that's done anymore because it's not a job that exists anymore, so we don't know if he's doing it poorly or not.
0: Yeah, and there is that part where he, he doesn't really use common sense and he hauls the gas all the way up the stairs, yeah. and then he has to haul it all the way back down, which sucks, um, mm-hmm. but maybe it's we also like you're stupid. Yeah, maybe it's stuff like that where you're like, no, why but also I think that um Wake was not a good trainer. <laughs> he didn't no, really know what, what was all. going on. He was just like curmudgeonly and rude right off the bat.
2: I'm gonna disagree with both of you. They were clearly fine for this the set period of time that they were supposed to work, right? Mm-hmm. By the end they were they were they were in you know, good good spirits and then this is this. This is like this story, makes us think like, oh man, these guys, you know, descent into madness. But it's like, the boat didn't come, like, mm-hmm. and they ran out of food, and then they starved to death, like, mm-hmm. uh, drinking so,
1: gasoline.
2: Really, the the villain of this movie is the boat, <laughs> the, <laughs> the boat so, captain, the boat captain, whoever. Like, okay, it the, it was stormy the day. Like, I guess it didn't seem like it was stormy consistently from the second they missed that first day to the end. Like, there were some clearish days there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, why the heck did that boat not come back? That's what I want to know, you know. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it sank, and so they didn't know they had to go back or something. But yeah. I was reading a book called Thunderstruck, actually. It's the same author that did Devil in the White City, which I think
1: Oh, yeah, Eric Larson. So, yeah,
2: yeah, Eric Larson. And um, it's about the invention of wireless telegraph and having read that it's like oh yeah they're i didn't really like realize they're completely isolated Mm -hmm. before before after that invention you could you know wireless do wireless and, and ask for supplies or whatever and there's actually a part in that book where they're on it's not an it's a light boat so it's not even an island it's a boat that's anchored to the sea and it just stays there and it's really really uh like horrible conditions when the storm hits because you're on this boat and it's rocking back and forth and there's nothing you can do about it. And I was like, Oh yeah. So like they are completely cut off. And that's really the unseen hand of this movie is more, less than the sea. It's being isolated, being abandoned. The second they're abandoned, everything falls apart. They were in, they were doing okay. The tension's building. It's almost like the first half of the movie is just setting the pieces of their relationship and seeing how they have tension but then they've kind of had this this weird father-son-ish relationship by the end and then it all falls apart when they start drinking poison i guess i actually don't understand that part that was the part that confused me the most is why are they drinking was it turpentine
1: yeah turpentine or kerosene i think what yeah why would you why well I i think that Eggers was saying, like, in the commentary that that's something that they actually, like, used to do. Like, because he, like, mixes, like, honey with the kerosene and, like, put some other stuff in it. And that, like, I think that was kind of like a homebrew sort of thing that workers would do if they, like, didn't have alcohol around or if it was banned or that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's the only thing that they had left. Like, they couldn't drink, like, the seawater and that sort of thing. And, I mean, I don't think you see Wake even drink water Throughout the film. Like, I think you only see him drink alcohol.
0: That seems accurate. Because, like, a lot of it to me, the reason they did that just seemed like desperation because they both were kind of Mm -hmm. very dependent on that. And then the only time that they would even get along is if they were totally out of their mind.
1: Yeah. And that's something that wake says like in their first interaction at dinner whenever he's like you know the doldrums are the evil parts and you have to have alcohol in that time because people go crazy if they're not drunk and they're lost at sea and there's nothing to do and so i think that was part of it was like them trying to stay sane by just being drunk all the time
0: which didn't really work (laughs) but
1: it didn't at all (laughs) i know i mean especially with like how much of the kerosene stuff that they were drinking and that that was like kind of their main source of liquid I mean I'm pretty sure they probably would have died from like poisoning soon if they hadn't killed each other
2: they did though that's basically what happened they basically mm, poisoned themselves to death yeah they lost their minds
1: true which is just crazy but this is like actually based partially on a true story because the crazy thing about this was like I had read about the story of the smallest lighthouse where these two lighthouse keepers who are I think both named Thomas got stranded at a lighthouse for months and months and months and like one of them died like the older one died and so the younger one like throws him out over the railing but then his body got caught in like all of the cords and like basically just like tied him to the window of the lighthouse and so like every day the young Thomas like every time he woke up he just like looked out the window and saw like the older Thomas's like decaying body there and that sort of thing I think he actually made it out alive after like months of being stranded there but it's, I mean, it's crazy, but like you know, that sort of stuff like did happen at least once, and so it's just like crazy to me. But I, I mean, that's just like I don't know. Again, such like a niche part of history, and not usually, I think, what people really go for in isolation movies. Like the thing I really love about this, that kind of bothers me with a lot of like isolated films, is it's usually like the survivor against the elements or against the environment and like with this one it's not even that they're like oh we have lodging we can you know make do with alcohol and that sort of thing and it's not even about them fighting against the ocean or trying to escape or anything like that but it's just them waiting it out and I think that is like why this is so good
0: yeah it's all about their dynamic together and how bizarre it gets Mm
1: -hmm. yeah it's I
2: really I agree totally that you could think of the, this sort of movie but f- on a ship and it would be more cliche and more, you know, losing your mind uh and then, you know, you're you're fighting the elements like you said, but i appreciated that like the house floods, but it's more a symptom of their own. Like there's not honestly there's not any of the problems that happen that they couldn't have avoided by working hard. Like like mm-hmm. if they had been keeping they're just not keeping up on maintaining because they're losing their minds, not, uh, the, Oh, the, you know, the, 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 lighthouse is built to survive what it got put through and they're just not doing what they need to do to keep everything. You know, they're not maintaining the quality of the cistern so that they can drink the water and they're not, you know, making sure that the supplies are, or whatever like that's it's the human human side is falling apart, not nature's, you know coming in and killing them that's i agree and it makes for a much more powerful sense of isolation because it's not about it's not oh man i went outside and i died like that's not honestly that's not that i don't find that type of thing like into the wild or the gray or things like that i don't find it that compelling because it's like all right don't do that like don't uh, you know if you're prepared you'll be fine this is the people are the ones that are responsible, the people on the Island. And then also whatever happens with the lack of ci- the civilization abandons them. You know, that's what isolation is really about. Not, Oh, I went, I went to Alaska and I didn't bring enough supplies. All right. You know, that's not that impressive. You did that to yourself, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think it also gives an avenue to, to really just kind of focus in, like you said at least just like more on the characters and like what's actually going on with them and it actually helps you to get to know them better because you're seeing them just kind of in this like swilling element and in, in, in boredom instead of in survival and you actually get like a true sense of like who they are and you get a lot of those like more intimate moments of them like getting drunk and fighting with each other and then uh, Winslow com- or saying that he killed the actual Winslow and all of that sort of stuff that I don't think you would really get in a movie where it's just like these two guys, like trying to build a boat off of the Island or that sort of thing. And there's even kind of the simplicity of like, I mean, it wouldn't have worked because of how bad the storm was, but he's like, all right, I'm just going to take the dinghy and like get off this rock. And like wake was like already just totally fine with staying there. And he's like, no, don't leave me. Like he doesn't say like, don't leave without me. He just says, don't leave me. And then, you know smashes the boat up and it's just it's crazy like they just know like oh yep this is kind of what happens like if you're out at sea or does and you're he? in the doldrums yeah or, or does he true
0: one of my very favorite mini genres is um dinner party goes bad because it's <laughs> all like one location and that's super appealing to me because then it's not really about like oh the settings are so beautiful or like oh wow what a whirlwind like adventure we're going on it's just like all these people in a room having to like have social dynamics that kind of slowly disintegrate and i feel like this movie is like a very extreme version of dinner party gone wrong and i think that's mm. part of why i loved it so much
1: you need to watch the celebration
0: i love the celebration. yeah i was gonna
1: say, yeah. Yeah. You you've seen Wait,
0: it? Is that the one where uh it's the guy's ex-wife and they go to the dinner party or is that No, that's the party. No, it's the Danish okay, film. I need to watch that because the party yeah. is a really good version of that.
2: What's the indie movie where the world ends? There's a dirty bomb that goes off outside the party.
1: Oh, is it the one with Steve Carell in it or
2: n- No, it's Wait, is it just called the There's, end of the world? It's a bunch of No, no, no. It's like I don't know. They go to a party and it's tense, and you've got that situation going on, and then a dirty bomb goes off in L.A., and they have to duct tape the, and they're trapped in this party uh, while the world that. ends around them, and yeah, it's I, I forgot, I forgot the name of it. Maybe it's just called something very simple like the party. See, I can never remember what any of these dang dinner party
0: movies are called because they're <laughs> all, they always have the same. It's name. always like the guest, the party. Yeah. Um, there's a really weird one with. uh, the guy that played Niles on Frasier.
1: Oh, David, David Hyde Pierce.
0: Where he's like, it's called The Perfect Host, and it's one of the these genres. Yeah. Really weird. Oh, and there's also yep, one where there's right. like multiple timelines that happen. They're at a dinner party, and the timelines get split. Have yes. you seen that one? What's that called?
2: I've not. I saw that t- a trailer for it. So that, good. Uh, I know what you're talking Anyways,
0: about. Anyways, that's. I feel like that's a rich vein. <laughs> there's not enough.
1: Yeah. Oh, also, great sound design that we didn't talk about earlier is that why'd you spill your beans? <gasps> oh. <laughs> one of the best lines in <laughs> recent film history. Oh my god, <laughs>
2: why'd you spill your beans? And the,
0: echo, <laughs> and it, and the slow. So wind. good. Okay, that that scene was the very scariest to me. Was because you're mm. slowly panning down the hallway and it's echoey and you're like, what are you gonna see? Ugh. <laughs> like, <laughs>
2: or just you spill your beans yeah this, this movie like is just silly enough that it never feels like it it almost undermines a little bit of the foreboding sometimes because everything's yeah. so silly
1: mm-hmm. but i think that's why it works too well or so well too because it doesn't just try to be this very intense very serious like drama horror sort of thing but kind of gives you those moments to breathe and then like sucks you back in like There's almost less tension in what's going to, like, pop out that's scary because there aren't really any jump scares in this. But there's more tension of just, like, what is going on with that dang light? Like, what is happening up there? And, like, honestly, one of the best builds of anticipation in film that I've ever seen where by the end you are just, like, going crazy too because you're like, what is going to happen when he sees the light? And, like, there's that fear whenever – he's already buried uh wake and he's like going back and you see wake charge in and like hit him with the axe and you're like am i not gonna see what the light is and is it just gonna be like a pullback of you know the lighthouse and like you know it's just the secret that stays up there and there's like a bit of that with the end of this where you don't really get what's going on but you're also just like oh this is crazy too
2: whatever he sees up there he likes it I think or he hates it yeah. I don't know it's very yeah, confusing
0: see, there's, you don't
1: even know there's, there's a way that um, um, Eggers describes what it is but I, it's not super podcast appropriate maybe I'll just bleep it out in the episode but he he says it's like so overwhelming that it just kills you
0: Makes sense actually, but it
2: but it didn't kill him. He fell down.
1: But that's kind of like what it. I mean, it made him like weak, need, and all that, and that's what like caused him to fall and to fall and all of that.
2: If you think of this movie, I think Edgar's movies. You, you, like I said, it's supposed to not kind of matter what's real. You know, like it's mm-hmm. the reality is like you said. what well, what the perspective is, right? But this movie, if you think about it, like what's happening, uh, without. Like assuming everything's in their head, right? It becomes very sad and tragic, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it becomes it becomes very funny actually because <laughs> you've got an old man that's just like sitting naked in front <laughs> of the light for, <laughs> because he's I don't know because he's cold, and then at the end he looks at the light <laughs> and, and he's covered himself in blood for some reason, uh, and then and then. He <laughs> He's so wowed by seeing the light that he falls down the stairs. <laughs> I mean, it's, so, it's not supposed to be funny, but I mean, at the end, it's sort of like, all right. If you don't empathize with the characters as much as you're supposed to, and I don't think I did. I don't think I empathized with the characters as much as I was supposed to. Uh, it sort of becomes really funny how these idiots got themselves killed. I'm just of the opinion they should have cleaned the water, but maybe that was an impossibility. Mm. But by the end, they've po- they've poisoned themselves and then they die.
0: If you zoom yeah. out a little bit and you watch it without the perspective and put like the Benny Hill theme song over it, it's just a couple dudes like chasing each other. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's really good. That's really good. Yeah.
2: It's just, a, it's worth have like having a bad roommate, I guess. You know, there's not. there's that. So true. was the Ron, the Ron Swanson line about, uh, um, it's just a man trying to kill, really hates a whale and he's trying to kill it. Nothing yeah. else. No metaphors. Nothing else. This movie is just about two bros that have a bad, bad, uh, bad roommate. You know, one guy has a bad roommate, and it, and it goes off the rails. That's it. There's nothing else going on in this movie. Yeah. No it's metaphors. a college horror
1: story.
0: Yeah. And then you go the other end, and I've had conversations with people where it's like, I think that old Tom is just young Tom, but in the future. And they happen to, like, be on the island. <laughs> like and then, like, you know, there's the whole, like, Prometheus imagery where you're like, it's a classic right. tale of, like, a man wanting to bring the light down to the people and then he gets eaten by a bird or whatever.
1: Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: It can go both directions, which I love.
1: Yeah, and that was, like, one of the things that they talked about in, like, writing the story for this because they didn't want it to have, like, the ending of the film be... That Winslow finds out, like, after he's killed Wake, that he's, like, in the cult of Dagon, and that's why there's this giant, like, you know, cult of the light sort of thing that's creating all of this. But they just kind of wanted it to be, like, almost, like, more mythical and, like, like, you know, Greek myths and Roman myths and all of that and just, like, you know you finally reach the fire, but then you like fall down back into darkness and that sort of thing. And, you know, just all that sort of like classical imagery instead of it just being like, it's this big conspiracy, but just like having it be like more simple than that. And it doesn't have to be this big grand, you know, unveiling of all of these sorts of things. And I I love like the ambiguity of like him just like getting completely like blown away by the light. And like, it almost like looking like it's like melting him and then, You know it's just like too intense
0: while we're like name dropping obscure esoterica and stuff during this (laughs) the part where um old tom is talking about how his other second lost his mind he talks about saint elmo's fire he's like the they Mm -hmm. swear that it's saint elmo's fire i was like okay i have no idea what that is so i looked it up Mm -hmm. and it's Erasmus of formia i think is the patron saint of sailors and abdominal pain i was like okay Mm. Hmm. but it's more like a disembowelment abdominal pain which happens to him which does happen to him but it's just like a little thing that's dropped once and it's like what do you mean
2: so saint elmo's fire is the teen movie from the 80s right i don't they're not
1: teenagers i don't think
2: no they're older and then there's uh St. Elsewhere is the hospital yes. show, right? That's
1: the hospital drama with Denzel that Washington,
2: right? Permission to go on a small tangent. Can I go okay. on a small tangent? small tangent. St. Elsewhere, the show, is the one of the great twist endings of all time in TV in terms of not good. It's not a good ending, but uh, it, the whole thing ends with him. It's a kid, a young kid. I think he's got like... The, his uh developmental stuff going on. I don't I, I don't I haven't seen in a long time, but like he's this kid that's one of the characters and he's staring at a snow globe of the hospital and it's implied that the entire show is in the kid's imagination while he's staring at this at this mm-hmm. globe. The problem is this is a typical network drama in the 80s and 90s where there's crossovers with other shows and other shows have crossovers with other shows and actually if you follow the logic (laughs) uh, cleanly and you say well this show this entire show (laughs) doesn't exist and is in the mind of this child then the show that it's connected to is also in the child's imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this thing branches out because all these shows had, you know, every time you shared a time slot or a, a weekday with another show, they'd have to do a crossover. Right. And at some point, I don't know how many connections, you know, it's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon type thing. Right. Mm-hmm. It got into the wolf the uh, the uh, law and order universe and once it gets in there it's everywhere right <laughs> and so, so somebody did the math and like a third to a half it might even be a majority of all the tv shows that have ever broadcast <laughs> <laughs> technically in universe exist in the mind of this child that's so bad and so i'm trying to think is there a way? You know, I, I, for a second, I was getting those two confused. So I think this movie is safe from I think that. It is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this movie is safe, but we could consider uh, this to be a sequel to Aquaman because of
1: Willem uh, Defoe.
2: Willem Dafoe's character. So if the, you know, it, get, it gets in there. I don't know. Everything's screwed. Everything's... So, because of this one dumb twist ending, half of TV storytelling has collapsed into... (laughs) The universes have collapsed into nothing because of that.
1: That's so good. Well, I I do want to talk a bit about, like, the technical side of this as well, because to my dismay, it only was nominated for one Oscar, which was Cinematography, which I think is ridiculous that, like, production design and costuming and, like not to mention the two leads, but just like in sound design and all of that didn't get nominated. It's ridiculous. Um, But Jaron Blaschke is the cinematographer on this and Robert Eggers was saying, you know, he, he, I think they shot The Witch on digital and he's like, I don't want to do that again. Like this needs to be a black and white film on 35 millimeter. And then they're like, oh, what if we did it in like this crazy, like 119 aspect ratio, which is like very boxy, very square they're talking about, like, how do we want to get, like, this feel, like, not trying to intentionally make it look like an old movie, but just give it that feel of, like, what it needs to be. And they're like, okay, well, let's shoot it in black and white. And then they use this thing called an orthochromatic filter, which basically is a filter that gets put over the lens and shoots. It doesn't pick up on the color red. So anytime the color red is shown, it just shows up as, like, black, basically. And they wanted that because it made the actors look more dark and weathered because there's a lot of, like, red flesh tones. And anytime it shows, like, you know, the red in your pores or that sort of thing, it doesn't show up as that. It shows up, like, as, like, black and haggardy and, like, scraggled and all of that. And gives us, like, really fascinating texture to all of it. And that's, like, why whenever he like smashes the bird against the cistern of why it just looks like pitch black because there's like a bright red that they were shooting with. And so it just takes all of that away and it's crazy, crazy cool and awesome. And they were using like these lenses from like the 30s and 40s and 50s, like really old lenses. And they're talking about like filming it because it is such a smaller like aspect ratio that they were basically like face to face for like most of the dialogue scenes to make it so that They could like both get in the frame and that was one thing i really appreciated upon watching at this time was how much they were able to do with it with so much more of a limited like frame space and even for like a modern cinematographer who's now used to like everyone just wants to shoot as wide as possible and use like the biggest like aspect ratio that you can and like with it just being so limited just like how much they're able to really do with it and how i mean just amazing it looks and i mean the reason why like a lot of like the water is like has that like bright shimmering and like the lights are so blown out is because of these old lenses that didn't like you know pick up more of the light and gave it that crazy glow and i mean it's just astounding what they do
2: i think it's that you know the true artists that have really really discovered the 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 power of the square format in recent years and that's really you know you're talking about myths and here in uh in mythology, and, that, and that's really a powerful way to to get that that message across. <laughs> I don't know why you guys are reacting the way. Are,
1: you, are you talking about <laughs> Damien Chazelle's iPhone commercial?
2: Oh, definitely not. <laughs> I'm def- no, I'm talking. I'm talking about the, the uh, modern the, gods. Uh, the greatest film of, of TikTok. The modern gods. You know, the greatest film released this year, uh, Justice League. In
0: thousands of years, <laughs> oh people will reference the Justice League the way that we re- like reference. Greek mythology. It'll be like all the high-minded like college students <laughs> oh that are like, well, you know, this is actually a Superman metaphor.
2: It's t- time to release the Plato cut of the Gr- Greek pantheon. It's like the par- the uh, allegory of the cave. We're all inside the cave watching everything in widescreen, and then when you step out outside in the cave, you see everything in square. <laughs> it's.
0: <laughs> That's fun because I said release yeah. the cut the last time we watched a movie together the last Wait, what time was i
2: that? was on the black cauldron i was like release oh we're movers and shakers in this podcast you know <laughs> think about think how much things have changed since that episode i mean people are talking about releasing the david ayer cut of suicide squad that's what people yeah. are using their power that's what people are using their power for is uh, for that see this so, is what i hate
1: because there is one cut that, and I'm being complete. This is not a bit that I'm doing. There's one cut that I'm completely serious that I want to see more than any other lost cut of any film ever aside from maybe the magnificent Ambersons is the original cut for the assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's my favorite Western. It's incredible. The movie's already three hours long, but I think there's a cut that's like three and a half or four hours. And I would pay just about like dump my bank account out to see that movie because it is incredible. And I hate that all this stupid stuff is being wasted on garbage superhero movies that even whenever they release it and redo stuff, it's still going to be bad.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, I would, I will watch any cut of suicide squad because I'm a sucker
1: for pain. But <laughs> <laughs> Is that the, isn't that one of the lyrics of the song in there? Yeah. Or no, wait, that's from that's like the 21 pilots song, right?
0: It's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, but uh, I would like <laughs> some more. Thank you.
1: Oh, that was the three of us that watched that. Yeah, we yeah, did John, watch you were there together. when we watched it.
0: Yeah, on the old projector.
1: I've
2: I've never seen a movie. It's the, it's people walking. The whole movie is people yeah. walking. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. It's people being in So if there's a, and walking. If the original cut has more walking than um i'm definitely not in for that
0: <laughs> oh yeah i'm tired just thinking about
1: that movie i mean too for a podcast that
2: is basically hosted by two guys that i think both hate superhero movies
1: <laughs> we should sure talk about them
2: a lot
1: well it's because it's it's consumed the, all the studio systems and that's all that big studios want to make right now because it makes a lot of money
0: but there's also something really compelling about things you hate
1: yeah there's a lot of movies that i hate that i'm like i kind of want to watch it again because of just like how much i hate it
0: i get very obsessed with things i hate it's hard to differentiate (laughs) anymore
1: oh that's really good so one of the other things i wanted to talk about for this movie is for some reason something that really gets to me is like uh, this is a weird way to phrase it And I'm going to have to explain the scene because it's just not going to make sense the way I'm phrasing it. But, like, weird liquid substances being poured out. And it's probably not what you're thinking for this movie. But the scene whenever he pours the chalk into the cistern and he starts, like, stirring it around. And it just, like, does that cut to, like, the black or, like, the white swirling of it in the black. There's just something, like, so visceral. where Like, I think that was the part of the movie that freaked me out the most. There's just, like, something to that that, like, really gets me. Like there's this old journey to the center of the earth film with James Mason in it that I loved as a kid, but there's this part whenever they're walking inside the earth and they're on like this cliff face and then they're like looking down into it and they like drop this rock into what seems like water and it hits the water and it just like starts like turning into this like kaleidoscope of like different colors. And I was just like, Oh, that like unsettles me so much. I don't know what it is, but there's something about, That sort of thing that just, like, really freaks me out for some reason.
0: Do you think it's kind of, like, instinctive? Like, the way that you're like, okay, we need water to live, and this is, like, their only source of water, and it's really gross, and it doesn't seem like it would be okay even with the chalk in there. Mm -hmm. Or is it more of a visual disgust?
1: I think it's more of a visual thing. I don't think it's about drinking the water as much. It's just, like, there's something, like, so, like, mysterious and unexplainable about it that it's just, like too much.
2: I think Connor you have a visceral reaction cuz you think it, it looks like mayo. I getting knew it, you were uh, going uh, to say water.
1: that. <laughs> no, the mayo would just sink in that water.
2: It's not body horror, it's like like liquid horror or like mm-hmm. like uh safe living horror because there's so much of like it's not like they're getting a disease or anything, but they're poisoning themselves and like there's the when it floods they just sit in the water and they're just like mm-hmm. walking around, like not even trying to stop it. And like, mm-hmm. it's not muck, but there's a sense that they're like wallowing in the failure of their fail, the failure to keep everything clean that right. I think is really, really he like
1: peas in the water and doesn't worry about it. Then he throws the water, up yeah. in it and doesn't worry about yeah. like, he doesn't like yeah. swish it around to try to get it out, but just kind of like, yeah, sits in it and you're just like, Oh, that's so awful. And then when he throws the pans into the, Ugh the wind and it just splashes all over him yeah yep, that's awful good big lebowski reference though
0: oh screaming on a cliff
1: <laughs> no no throwing stuff into the wind and it getting splashed onto you oh yeah and also i mean I, we have to talk a little bit about their performances because i think i mean for the two of them these are maybe my favorite performances that they've ever given i mean i don't think willem defoe ever gives a bad performance but man this this one just took it above and beyond the fact that he could make it so believable and not like cartoonish and like sell all of those lines. And like the big Poseidon curse that he does and that it still seems like so natural to his, his character and that he can at times seem so like menacing and intimidating and then just like shrink back down. Like whenever he like slaps Wake or Winslow for, you know, throwing the rock at the gall and then like just kind of like shrieks back with like his lick lip quivering and all that and you're like oh that's you know he seems like strong for like a second and then just like this turns into this like tiny person
0: yeah his facial performances are he can distort his face a lot so Mm -hmm. I mean the speeches and the memorization and the gravitas that he puts behind it sometimes and then he pulls it back like you're saying went so well with like how wildly he can distort his face and how scary he can look sometimes
2: Mm-hmm. it's a it's a credit to an actor like william Dafoe where you can have i mean looking at him the way he looks in this movie you're like oh man classic perfect character for him like i know exactly what he's gonna do you feel like it's written for him and you just you you know what him playing this role is gonna be like and you it seems perfect for him. And yet he still disappears into it. And you still forget he's there by the end, even though it's so like him it by the end, it isn't because he's still made this character. It's its own thing. And, and, uh, yeah, he, he doesn't play it all the way intense. Like you think he, he's, he's able to play it. The character is, I think more, um, pitiful by the end. than I was, than I think you're expecting going in. Um, and mm-hmm. that's an important part of the change in the relationship, right? That they shift yeah. um. by the end.
1: Yeah. And the fact, too, that they're both able to play, like, drunk so well, I think is, like, a testament to their acting ability where they can carry the story and, like, be drunk for, like, literally half of the movie and it not feel, like, fake because I think that's something that people think is easy to do. In acting, and I think I've harped on this before, but there's so many bad, like, drunken performances in movies. Like, we just watched um, Promising Young Woman not too long ago, and while there's some good acting in it, there's some very bad drunken acting in it, and I'm just like, ugh, it's not something that anyone can do.
0: You never know with interviews if uh, Robert Pattinson is actually speaking the truth or just, like, talking to talk, but I believe he did say yeah. he was actually drunk for a fair amount of this
1: movie because i know there's like a lot of like sag after laws against that and like you're not you know you're supposed to switch out the alcohol with like yeah. anything else like you're not supposed well, to give your actors fully a liar, liquor, so. So. you know everyone in this movie is an unreliable narrator there's like yeah. no truth in it
0: oh this is just a random detail but did you guys notice the knife stuck in the wall in the background there's just, like, a big kitchen knife, like, stuck in the wall in the back of the kitchen all the time.
1: Oh, yeah, that's on, like, mm-hmm. the paneling on that. Yeah, that was how, like, they would keep some of their, like, bigger kitchenware oh, okay. and that sort of thing. I was just
0: like, well, that's mm-hmm. kind of... There's a tail there <laughs> that we don't know about.
1: Because I don't think they really had drawers or, like... I mean, they wouldn't yeah. have had knife blocks or that sort of thing. Stick so I think you wall. just kind of stick it there. Mhm. So that way you can pick it up and all that, but... And still in watching this, one of the reasons why I picked this is like what I think is like the best movie of the 2010s is just because few other movies transport me so much into the world of it as this movie does. And like, as soon as it just starts off, like I'm there and I'm not out until like the very end. And so here is your first question. So we were talking about the orthochromatic filter, which takes out, it doesn't pick up on the red and shows it as black. Which shot in the film is the only one to not utilize the orthochromatic filter. Is it A, the tentacle in the light with Winslow look, looking up at it? Is it B, the face of the mermaid revealed? Is it C, Winslow's death? Or is it D, Winslow killing the bird?
0: I'm
2: going to say the, the mermaid.
0: Um, I'm going to guess the tentacle.
1: It is B, the mermaid. They wanted it to seem as like perfect As possible, They didn't want her to seem like all craggy because she's supposed to be like what a sailor would like imagine and that sort of thing. So, yes, they did not use it on that shot. And they said it's weird because you look at Robert Pattinson's hands and it's the only time they look normal throughout the movie. (laughs) All right. Question number two. So as we were saying, the Eggers brothers did a lot of research on this film to get historical accuracy for dialogue. What author did the Eggers brothers not get inspiration from for writing the screenplay? Is it A, Edgar Allan Poe, B, H.P. Lovecraft, C, Sarah Orrin Jewett, or D, Jules Verne? I'm
0: going to say B.
2: I am also going to say B.
1: That is incorrect. It's actually Jules Verne. So I think they used Lovecraft for more of like kind of the supernatural elements of it as well. Same with Poe.
2: I thought you were trying to trick us. No. Nah. Yeah. You did.
1: Well, here's here's your final question. What was the original title of the film? A, Burnt Island, B, The Dead Gull, C, Keepers of the Light, or D, The Telltale Fart?
2: C. I'm going to say... Yeah, I got to say C as well.
1: Incorrect. It is actually Burnt Island.
2: I burnt. Oh, okay.
1: I don't know. Maybe just because of the light or that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, it was a a temp name anyway, so I doubt it would have been made with that name.
2: If they're going to use a temp name, they should have called it uh, Telltale
1: Fart. Thank you. Thank you. I'm proud of (laughs) that.
0: I could see you before you started reading, there was like a hint of a smirk, (laughs) and I was like, what are we about to get here?
1: That's literature, Creed. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Here is your challenge for this movie. So black and white films are not common anymore nowadays can you list 10 black and white films made after 2000
0: okay the artist
2: yep. yeah the art, the, this one is the farthest the yeah, never yeah. Mind.
0: um mank
1: yep and i will say i will also count theatrical re-releases of films that were originally in color but were transferred to black and white
0: yes mad
1: max yes mad
2: max Mad Max, uh, Justice League. Didn't they do a black... They definitely did a black and white version.
1: You're not going to See, I this. kept on thinking that, but I don't think that they did because I think it's just so stark that it kind of seems like... Because there are points For where sure. I think Justice League is in black and white, and it's not.
2: Okay. I thought there was an alternate cut, though, I'm saying. There's an alternate cut you could get, but...
1: If you can find evidence on it, I'll give you that. Uh, but I don't think there re- is.
2: It's n- not in theaters, so it probably doesn't count anyway. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. I, um... What are we on three? Oh, yes. uh, was Midsummer? No, Midsummer's no. not. I'm no. thinking of something else though. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there's a Tim Burton movie on here.
0: Oh, uh, Frank and Weenie.
1: Yep, John. There is a couple movies in here that we have discussed on recent episodes, and actually one that was in the challenge for a previous movie.
2: Oh, this is gonna kill me.
1: And it was the one movie that you couldn't get.
2: Yeah, great. Great. W- wonderful. Uh... Oh, um...
1: Nebraska. Yes. Nice.
2: Yes. The old guy. The old guy.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, uh... I think there are three movies on here that, uh, on different years, won Best uh, International Feature.
2: Oh, um, it's it's in Mexico. It's about oh, we oh, so talked.
1: four actually, yeah. Oh. Two of them are by the same director. Actually, I'm not sure if the uh, other one won or not. But
2: what's it called?
1: Uh, one of them yeah. I think came out in 2018. It's a Maybe. Netflix
2: movie. A mm-hmm. It's a Netflix Netflix movie? you're so close and I know the movie I know the movie and I'm just blanking on the name of it yeah I think um, there's
1: actually three Netflix movies on here you already oh, got Mank
2: I'll have to come That's back it's one it. word little, I, I know there's I know also, as soon I, as, uh, as long as we come back Rome Roma 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 yes yeah I just couldn't remember it's because I was trying to think of a city name but it's, it's Roma okay mm-hmm. um, well how many more do we got
1: um,
0: uh, we need four more
1: there's a Noah Baumbach film on here.
0: Oh, wait, was the the boxing movie in black and white?
1: Boxing movie. The re-
0: Never mind, that's that's a different director.
2: The wrestler, the wrestler is not.
0: No. Okay, one, I think.
2: okay. I think Raging Bull was though, right? Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah.
1: Um. There's also a Robert Rodriguez film on here based on a comic series there is a Shakespeare film on here as well Uh, directed by Joss Whedon no what no it is one of the comedies I
0: missed that one
1: completely I forgot about it actually
0: (laughs) was it good?
1: wait I haven't seen it
2: Whoa, whoa 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 the Robert Rodriguez one is like a comic book right Yes. It's in Where is it? Sin City? F- Sin City. Yes. Yes. Is that actually black and white? Isn't that like a
1: I mean, there's like splashes of color in it at points, but it is like It's basically 98% black and white.
2: And there's a sequel to that one? I don't know the yeah. name yeah. of it.
1: I think it's like a Sin Dame City. to Kill Four or something.
2: Oh yeah, Doom. There we go. That one counts. Um
1: <laughs> there No. Oh. <laughs> well, Wait, why that- why doesn't no, that count? I guess that should count. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Wait, wait, which one? The Second we Sin, City.
0: Uh, Sin City. Uh, okay, I just too. need one more.
1: Uh, there's also a Damien Chazelle film on here. What?
0: what? Sorry, what year did you say again that we had to start at?
1: Like 2000s onward.
0: Okay. Right
2: 2000. Now. That's what makes it hard cuz yeah. there's no 90s stuff I know a bunch could think of a couple at least. Uh mm-hmm.
1: There's a radio Gosh. drama film on here. Uh, there's also a Coen Brothers movie on here.
2: Oh, shoot. Oh, Brother Where Art Thou, is that black and white? Nope. Mm-hmm. It's just really, really... Weird colors. No. Stylized.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, no, no, no. Inside and Davis. Nope. What? That's not nope. black and white? Nope. Why Why do I keep thinking these are black and white? I remember, I'm remembering these movies in black and white.
1: has Billy Bob Thornton in it.
2: Bad Santa, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it Twelfth,
1: twelfth
2: Night?
0: Was the
1: Shakespeare one? No. Okay.
0: As you like it?
1: No. There's also another version of this film from the 90s with Keanu Reeves, Denzel Washington, Kenneth Branagh. Uh, uh, oh, oh, Emma is it, Thompson, uh, I think, is in it too?
0: Is it Emma Thompson or is it the girl that was in 10 Things I Hate About You?
1: I think it's Emma Thompson. I got to look it up now.
0: Okay. Because I think... Is it... No. It's not. It's uh much ado about nothing. Yeah, it's
1: Emma Thompson. Yes. that's yes! it. Ah, oh, yes! Oh, I've seen that one even. It's
0: good. Yes.
1: The the nineties oh, oh, one is good. the nineties one is good. The Joss Whedon oh. one I've never seen. Yeah. That's
0: the one I'm thinking
2: of. Why would you make another one if you have one with Emma Thompson? Oh wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh does it have to be fully black and white?
1: What what is the other one you I mean you guys are finished, so just pop oh, it memento. off.
2: Memento. Memento. But
1: that's Memento's yeah, I wouldn't count that because it's, it's like a third more like in third. color. Isn't
0: it part yeah. of Requiem for a Dream, black and white
1: too? Uh, no, maybe Requiem so.
2: Dream. or even suns- Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. No,
1: Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is all in color, I believe. There's always there maybe more stylized like, parts.
2: I'm, I'm thinking of these stylized, you know, yeah, lot of, and I'm thinking it's black and white, but yeah. Cool. So um,
1: the Noah Baumbach one was Francis Ha, the Cohen Brothers one. Was mm-hmm. the man who wasn't there? Um, mm. The radio drama was "Good Night and Good Luck," and then um, ah! I know radio that's the one drama. I was surprised that you Ra- didn't get, John.
2: Wait, radio drama? You said radio drama, and you made me think of something completely different. Radio.
0: No, I was thinking well, of I, War of the Worlds, but I was like, oh. wait, yeah, yeah.
1: No, yeah. And then the other, the two films that I was talking, the two or three international films were. Uh, Ida or Ida I'm not sure how to say that Uh, Embrace of the Serpent and Cold War there's also The Good German as well Uh, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench is the Damien Chazelle one and then there's a new Netflix movie I think that just came out called Malcolm and Marie with John David Washington and Zendaya
2: and I just looked it up and the Justice League did get released in black and white did it okay
1: yes (laughs) wait was there a theatrical release
2: though uh what is theatrical release anymore? Creed? Are there even it theaters came out.
1: anymore? It came out it's... before COVID, so if it didn't have a theatrical release, if it was just a version, because no, you could no, also no. say there's a a version of Parasite in black and white, but that was didn't have a theatrical release.
2: Excuse, we just discussed this. The real, the real version of the Justice League did not come out before COVID. Oh it my took gosh. the the uh, it took. So the, I guess it never had a theatrical release then. It took the bullying of thousands <laughs> to True. make this happen. It's True. the it's ju- justice is gray is the subhead, which is right. perfect. It's just, it's, it thinks it's so meaningful, and it's just we live not. in a society. <laughs> we live in a society. Oh. Wow, no, I've never really thought that. Apparently, like was that not before. in the movie. I I keep thinking I need to go back and watch all those DC movies, but I'm like, no, I, I don't want to. It's not worth my time, you know. I I was always upset that it wasn't. Nolan, yeah, booing them, and so I didn't watch it. And now that I can go back and watch them, it's like I've think I've sort of saved some time by not watching
1: them. Yeah,
0: perfectly good 1970s Superman movies. We don't. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I think that wraps up this episode for us. Thank you so much for being on again, Elise. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, we'll probably have you on again soon. I don't know about this (laughs) soon again, but you never know, you never know. Uh, John, since the next one is your pick, do you want to introduce the next film? And it's a film you haven't seen either.
2: Yeah, well, it's weird. You're calling it my pick, but like, you know, I guess I had to fight for it a little bit. But yeah, it's The Tree of Life, which I am very excited to watch. And uh, that's going to be... A meaningful experience, I think, to, to talk about that movie. Yes,
1: and I'm just going to give a disclaimer for everyone who's listening to this episode and looking forward to the Tree of Life episode. We will actually be releasing it a week later than we normally would. Sorry, our schedule is being thrown off. I'm moving um, the week that this episode comes out, so I will not have enough time to do research or record the episode. So we're pushing it back a little bit, but we're still going to stay on topic and we're still going to stay on schedule afterwards. So. No need to worry, and as always, oh Elise, is there anywhere where people can find your artwork or follow you or that sort of oh, thing as that's well?
0: Really kind, but no, please don't contact me. Don't okay. leave me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm private. Gotcha. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure if you still had your, your store up oh, or that sort I do of have thing. A Red or. Google,
0: but I can't remember the name, okay. so it's okay.
1: <laughs> okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Okay, so for those of you listening, do not follow Elise. (laughs) I
2: would like to. uh, I would like to also piggyback off that. I keep getting emails from LinkedIn saying people are looking at my LinkedIn. Please stop.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) For all of our LinkedIn LinkedIn follows.
2: I'm 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 pretty sure I have not updated my LinkedIn. I'm still a college student on LinkedIn. I'm not going (laughs) to update it because I like my job. So eternally be uh, a college student. I I don't stop looking. If people are looking, stop looking. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I'm not going to give it out, so don't look.
1: (sighs) Yeah, don't follow John on LinkedIn. All right, (laughs) as always, please be sure to follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and on YouTube. You can find us at Rules of the Frame. You can find our videos on YouTube as well. We would also really love a review on iTunes. That just helps our show to become much more visible. We also love it when you guys reach out, if you send us an email or a DM or anything like that, any sort of communication. We love connecting with you guys and... If you have any movie suggestions or even a series suggestion or anything like that, please feel free to shoot it out to us. Or if you just want to combat us on one of our views, if you don't think that The Lighthouse should have been on this list, tell us why, and we'd love to chat with you guys. As always, we got to thank John for the use of the graphic and Caden Reed, Ethan Stafford, and Luke Hogan for the use of the theme song and the outro.
2: This has been Film Analysis for a Modern Audience. (laughs)